Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. It's the Sports Rivals here with Ernie and Monty, ready to talk sports. Of course, the dominant topic again this week is the Eastern and Western Conference Finals in the NBA. We also want to cover the finalized U.S. Men's Basketball Olympic team. Some surprises there, so we're going to discuss that. And then the NBA lottery took place this week, so we'll make our comments. The Detroit Pistons secure the first pick. And we'll see who they are going to take at this point in time. And then coaching hires. We talked about the seven openings last week. Four of them have been filled this week. So we'll discuss the other three open spots and what we feel uh, with the hires, including Ernie's Boston Celtics. But Ernie, first, let's jump into the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm -hmm. Milwaukee and Atlanta. So as we recorded last week, we're still in our euphoric sense that <laughs> yeah. Milwaukee had won. And I think they were too. And they came out and lost game one and then responded. So what do you think so far? Well, they responded in a big way. I was actually totally, sh not totally shocked that uh, Atlanta took game one, but boy, what a, what a, I mean, game two was, was the JV Atlanta. I mean, it was like Milwaukee just, you know, saying, okay, Okay, little brother, I gave you one. Now let's play big ball game. And uh, what, what was it? A forty-point ending total. I mean, it wasn't even a game after the after the second quarter. So it, I mean, if that just tells me, I don't know if that is something where Atlanta just said, okay, you know what, we're gonna save our save our juice for games three and beyond, and just give them give uh, you know give Milwaukee this game too. But that that is still that is. 40 points is telling, you know, so I don't know. I don't know. Atlanta's going to have to actually, in my opinion, come out with their A game almost every night in order for this to go seven. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think, I think in game one, maybe Milwaukee was still a little flat. You know, they had an extra day. So they had four days before they played. Maybe they were still off that high and they did not play that well. And Trey Young played phenomenally at 48 points that day but if you look deeper into the that Milwaukee performance it was 116-113 it was a three-point loss and you had Chris Middleton 6 for 23 0 for 9 from three-point range right um it makes sense you know that they were going to lose and he's not going to shoot 0 right. for 9 he's not going to go 6 for 23 so I do agree with you I think if Milwaukee plays their best and Atlanta plays their best Milwaukee's the better team. Right. Because they do have, I think they made an adjustment and they made it really hard for Trey Young uh, in game two. Um, and I don't know if Atlanta has enough bullets in the gun to keep up with the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I think game three is going to be telling. I think if Milwaukee goes into Atlanta and, and wins, uh, resoundingly wins, I think they could just go ahead and, and finish this in five. Um, but I'm hoping Atlanta rebounds. I mean, I'm hoping they rebound, and it's a good competitive hard series. No, me, I, it's I, fun I watching Trey Young. I, it, yeah, when Trey Young is on, I mean, there's uh, it's it's a fun game basically. I mean, when he shoots, when he shoots threes from the logo, 
I mean, and gets that crowd going. It says, wow. And even if it's in the, on the opposing court, I mean, when he, like I said uh, in earlier podcasts, I mean, he feeds off of negative energy he as tries. much as he does, you know, in his home court. So, I mean, uh, I, 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 I can see Atlanta maybe pushing this to game six, but Milwaukee is just a tough matchup. They are. I mean, they're so long, they're so athletic, and, and Giannis was proving to be a problem. And as long as he's not settling for threes and he's taking it to the hoop. Um, and Drew Holiday's playing much better. I mean, he was yeah. lights out in the first two games. Right. And if he continues to play like that and they have three solid star caliber players, it is going to be a struggle for, for Atlanta. Right. But uh, Trey Young shimmying and shooting from all over the place and playing to the crowd and um i, I kind of felt though after game one you know there's sometimes that you have good wins and good losses and i just thought to myself wow 116 113 yes the hawks won but look what the bucks did that's not going to be duplicated right i don't see trey young getting 48 points again right um and then there's game two and i don't think the hawks are 40 points worse than the bucks you know, so you have two games that are not indicative, I don't think, of who these teams are. So I'm expecting tomorrow to be pretty interesting. Yes. You know, can the Hawks respond uh, or do the Bucks continue to play well? And that's going to be interesting. If the Hawks can pull off game three, then this is going to go seven. If Milwaukee wins game three, uh, I think it'll only go to five, um, maybe six. But I, that's why I think game three is going to be so critical. Yeah, it'll be pivotal. It'll it, it it'll be pivotal in a in, in, in a sense that if if Atlanta can uh, win it in convincing uh, fashion, then all the pundits are gonna come back and see how you know oh maybe we did like in the previous series underestimate the Atlanta Hawks because I mean if 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 you are outside Atlanta, you did not expect Atlanta in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. I mean let let's be flat out clear about that. Yeah. I I did. I had them out in the first round against the Knicks. I mean, and I, I would say most other people, you know, did not expect it to pass, uh, you know, the, their last series. Yeah, I mean, so it's this, been this, incredible. Yeah. It's been an incredible run. Nate McMillan has done an amazing job with this team. And, uh, yeah, nobody could have seen them beating the Sixers. Right. Um, but, but, but with that said... They probably have one of the best records coming after the All-Star break. Yeah, they've been playing really, really well. They were 16-20 and 20 at the All-Star break, and they've been playing really well since. So um, they seem to be turning it around and on the right track. But again, Bogdanovich is still struggling, and Trey Young can carry them on their own. Right. Uh, and Collins played well in, in the first game as well. So they're going to need somebody else to handle this because Drew Holiday is going to... Between Holiday and Tucker... That's how versatile Tucker is. Yeah. He had Kevin Durant in one series. Now he's going Trey Young in the other series. Between the two of them, they're not going to stop him completely, but they're going to make it so hard. Right. And Trey Young is a, a slight person, you know, so he can get worn down. Exactly. Uh, especially if you're physical with him. And Holiday and Tucker are going to be physical with him. So, right. you know, we'll see how that goes. But again, let's touch a little bit on, before we get to the Western Conference, a little comment. I want to get your feedback on the controversy surrounding Ben Simmons and how much of a disappointment <laughs> and that game seven where he drove to the basket was there for a dunk and passed it off at the end of the game yeah. um it's in his head wow it 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 is definitely in his head when 
it's it's the pressure. It's the pressure from going back to the process. You know, when when both he and and B were drafted earlier, you know, as high draft picks and all the expectations when they bring in Tobias Harris, when they bring in Butler, when they bring in Horford and them not reaching the pinnacle. And now they have the number one seed and now they're put and, and they struggled. I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, let's call it, it wasn't really, I mean, it was somewhat, somewhat easy in the opening rounds, but it wasn't exactly a cakewalk for them getting into the East, uh, you know, in, in, into the, the semifinals. So Ben's, and when they got pushed, Ben Simmons just folded. Yeah, I mean, he played great defense. I mean, he was following Trey Young around and playing good defense on him. But do you think this is fixable? Because no. it seems to be a big problem from the top of the organization down to the players on the team. The players were frustrated with him. Embiid is frustrated with him. You could hear Doc Rivers' yeah. frustration yeah. with him. He clearly has a mental block. I mean, he's definitely going to need a sports psychologist or somebody to get his confidence I back. Agree. Yeah. Um, is it fixable in Philly, or do they have to move on? Hey, I would. It would probably be in both Philly's best interest and Ben Simmons' best interest to have a chain of scenery. If he stays in Philly, we all know how Philly fans are. There, they are tough fans, mm -hmm. you know. And and with just both of us talking about it, imagine if a Philly fan just came on top of our show and started mouthing, you know, giving their opinions. I mean, we we'd have four letter words coming off. You know, as adjective, adverbs, pronouns, and nouns left and right, you know, in regards to that. He needs a new change. And, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's not just passing off. It's his three-point shooting or lack thereof. It's free. Well, that's always been the case. Right. I mean, he's never been willing to be a three-point shooter. But what this series showed is he wasn't even willing to be a, a one-foot shooter. Right. He was not willing to do anything offensively, which is just... Yeah, he, pretty remarkable. He lack he he lacks that leadership quality when it comes to you know the offensive game, and that's where I think the 76ers started to spin it a little bit later in the week, where they're like, we have a plan, we know how to fix this, this is going to be fixed because the wagons had already circled, and you have the vultures out there right. trying to see if they can steal Simmons on the cheap, you know, thinking that Philadelphia is going to try and get rid of him for basically nothing. I don't think they're going to do that no. because he still has value. Uh, if they can work on his offense. But there's a couple of scenarios that I heard that are interesting. I mean, I had uh, somebody say Wiggins and Wiseman for Simmons, and Simmons would play the Draymond role wow. uh, where there's shooters all around him, so he doesn't have to do any of that. All he has to do is rebound the ball, drive, dish to the other scorers. And I also heard a trade uh, with Portland where C.J. McCollum um, goes to Philadelphia one for and one? Ben Simmons goes to the Portland Trailblazers. One for one. It, there are some draft picks and stuff uh, in play there, but it was virtually one, one for one where Philadelphia gets another shooter. Um, although they do have Seth Curry. Right. You know, so that's a little redundant. Uh, and then Ben Simmons can do the things that Portland lacks right now, which is defense on the wings, uh, and free up a little bit more space for, for Dame Lillard. So I'm not sure I would do either of those trades if I'm Golden State. Um, if I was go if, if I was Philly, I would take the Golden State and run. Yeah. I, but I don't see Golden State giving up all that all that. Wiseman talent. and Wiggins. Yeah, that's 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 too much. Yeah. 
I mean, so I, I, I do think that it's likely that he's going to be traded. But I do think Philadelphia is doing the smart thing and trying to increase his value again so right. that they don't, they don't get fleeced yes. the way the Eagles are perceived to have gotten fleeced by the Colts in the Carson Wentz situation. <laughs> and this is like identical. Right. This seems to be almost the same type situation that the Eagles had, that the Sixers are having. I think the Sixers are trying to learn from that and try to get as much value as they can. I just don't see Ben Simmons coming back right now. Not with this team. I think people have lost confidence in him, which is unfortunate. And it's it's not that. It's just not that. I mean, if if, if Embiid sees this, and he's been seeing it for a number of years, when his contract comes up, and I believe his contract comes up in, what, a year or two? Mm-hmm. I mean, he might say, you know what, Philly, um, you know what, thanks for the memories. I'm going to a place where... I think I can gives me a better chance to win because it's definitely not happening here. Yeah, but you know what's so weird is that I, for one, was always one that if you have to choose because Embiid and Simmons are not the perfect fit, um, I would have chose Simmons all along until now because yeah. Embiid is always hurt and there's always That's that true. risk of injury. Um, but I don't see how you would make that choice right now considering what's a clear mental block. And, and we talked about this a few weeks ago with you know, Osaka and mental illness. If right. this is in his head, there's no guarantee that he can get it out. You know? So he may be a defensive stopper for the rest of his life. That doesn't justify a $30 million contract. Yeah. In Philly, I don't think it's going to be something that you'd want to hold your breath on top of it. But if he does, like you said, uh, if there is a viable trade out there, I, I think he can flourish in a new system. You know, maybe a smaller market. New environment. New environment. Let's let's call it a smaller market team. I'm, you know, no New York. You know, I think you're just uh, going out of the frying pan into the fire in that particular place. More mid-market type of team with uh, mm-hmm. maybe already a proven star out there. So you don't have to be, you know, all that pressure can be, at least be shared mm-hmm. and everything. I think that that's something. Maybe with, with you know, with... Uh, you know, a better balance of, uh, you know, offense to offset what, uh, you know, your, your, his game shines, which is on the defensive side, and where he can just more complement on the offense. Because I, I, I was like you, two years ago, I would think twice on who would I want to make this franchise. The team. Yes. Around. Yeah. Because, but now you're, today, it's clear cut. Yeah, it's clear. It's, it's I mean, there were times cut. that Embiid was out before and Simmons would take over and he'd go for 30, 35 points. Oh. He'd be taking it to the rack with so much confidence. Yes. His game is inside. So if he were to get traded, he does have to go where there is some space inside and he doesn't have to be a point guard. I right. mean, Philadelphia tried to make him into a point guard and he has point guard skills. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to play the point. Right. I mean, he can grab a rebound. He can run the break like Draymond. I mean, right. he... In fact, now he's much closer to a Draymond Green than he is to a superstar point guard. Right. He's, he's, he's like a younger version of Draymond Green, a, a taller, longer, more athletic version of Draymond Green. But Draymond Green has a super high basketball IQ that separates him. So, all right, I just wanted to talk. I couldn't ignore the Ben Simmons situation because that was such prevalent talk. But let's... Switch gears to the Western Conference. Game four just ended, and what a brutal <laughs> offensive game. 84-80 Phoenix. They take a 3-1 lead. What are your thoughts on the first four games so far? Uh, was that only three quarters played on that final score? It was just crazy. You're talking about two teams that are high scoring, that typically are good offensive 
two of the best shooting teams in the league, right. they were ice cold, right. especially in the fourth quarter. Right. Yeah. I mean, it. it was, I mean, it, the good thing about it was it. You know, it was a nail biter. It. It. It, it came down. Uh, you know. Uh, it looked like in the beginning stages, or at least until uh, around the second quarter, that it was uh, going to be runaway by Phoenix. But you know, the Clippers got back into it. But uh, you know, without Kawhi being down three one, and we all know the you know the odds on a team going down three one in the playoffs, uh, it doesn't look very good. No, for it doesn't. The L.A. Clippers. It doesn't. But you know what? One thing that. And you guys all know I'm a, I'm a Laker fan. So if you're a Laker fan, you really can't be a Clipper fan for whatever the reason is. So I'm not, and I'm rooting for Phoenix. Um, but I have tremendous respect for the Clippers. I mean, they don't have Kawhi. They don't have Ibaka. And they're down in every game, and they never, ever give up. And every single game, they're in the game. Mm -hmm. They could have, maybe should have won game two. Mm -hmm. Paul George missed two clutch free throws with seven seconds yep. left that would have put yep. them up three. You know, um, they won game three. They easily could have won today. I mean, they, they're shooting. They shot 35%. They were five for 31 from three. If we remember correctly, <laughs> when they beat Utah in game six, they were 14 for 19 from three just right. in the second half. So they were ice cold today. Um, but they're so resilient and they're relentless and they play hard and they're giving them a battle. A Phoenix team that had won nine in a row going into game three. Right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm impressed with the job Tyron Lue is doing. I'm impressed and I'm a little bit chagrined to know that Clippers have that much talent that they're doing this without two of their starters especially Kawhi, who's sitting up in the rafters watching these games. Right. It's quite remarkable. But if it gets past Game 5, I'd be shocked. Because I, I don't think Phoenix is going to do what Utah did, go home with a chance to you know grab a hold of the series and then blow it. Um, I think Phoenix goes home, takes care of business, and, and locks up the series. I, I, I think so, too. You're, you're, you're talking about a team that has won, what, 10 out of the last 11? Ten out of the last eleven, and and you know what? For all you said in regards to what the the, the Clippers brought to this series, I mean, all Phoenix has done is match the level of intensity that the other team brings, and that's how they're winning the games. You know, it they knew or they knew that they were off today. You know, Paul goes up the court, he takes time off, uses the clock, you know, and that's how they, that's how they do it. They don't let it get out of their control they match intensity and today was a bruising game so you know they're just going to say you know what my mental game is better than your mental game and that's how we're going to play you today yeah i mean they survived the first two games without chris paul he came back in game three he was very rusty right um he was more chris paul like today but still you know from the offensive side six for 22 from the field Hit some key free throws down the stretch, but he is a stabilizing force out there. Um, but Devin Booker hasn't been Booker yet this series. I mean, he did break his nose. Right, uh, he yeah. had the mask on. Maybe he's struggling with that. He took off the mask in the second half today. I think Patrick Beverly is frustrating him like he does everybody else. I mean, when you watch Patrick Beverly play defense, I marvel. I mean, he pissed off. LeBron when he's guarding him. Right. He used to guard Durant when they were playing them, giving up eight inches. Uh, and he is 
stopping Devin Booker. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is totally stopping Devin Booker. It is remarkable how good of a defensive player he is in these playoffs. Oh, yeah. He's it's unsustainable for the whole year. But in the playoffs, he can lock someone down. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean for, for you Booker fans saying that, oh, you know what, his nose is actually bothering him. Yeah, that's some case. But you know what? Beverly is on him like a glove. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's, he's out there on the perimeter, and he is like, he's touching ball when... Out there. And he has an uncanny ability to strip the yes. ball without fouling yes. and then have it touch you on the yes. way out. That's, that's it's unbelievable. That's, yeah, that's basic, basically what I'm saying. I mean, he is on him like a glove out there. I mean, uh, Booker is Booker, but Beverly is Beverly. Yeah, and just today, Booker six foul today. He beats the drive, he goes to the rim, they call a foul on Beverly. Um, and this is with less than a minute left. They challenge it. They reverse the call. Booker fouls out. Beverly was proven to be there and drew Booker's sixth foul on a drive that Booker originally thought was going to be a free lane to the hole. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, his defense is, is, is remarkable. But that being said, I think Phoenix goes and goes home and wins by ten to fifteen points in Game Five and puts puts the Clippers away. No, yeah, that's that's why I think. I mean, again, without Kawhi, and who knows he, who knows if he was in this series, if that would if, if it would be a different series or not. But the the fact of the matter is, uh, that is the two thousand twenty one playoffs. I mean, yeah. it's it's basically it's this is it's it's as much a, a game of attrition. Than it is with talent. I mean, it's it's basically the last man, the last healthiest uh, combination of talent that your team can put out there. You know, will prevail. I mean, well, we're looking now whether it be Phoenix, who looks to be in control in the West, versus a Milwaukee or an Atlanta. Um, at this point, I think we both lean Milwaukee. I would. Those would be the two healthiest teams. Yeah. I mean, Chris Paul was out with COVID. Right. But assuming he's okay, they are the two healthiest teams, and they're going to end up in the finals, or so it looks. Yeah. Atlanta's pretty healthy as well. So if it's Atlanta, it would be still two healthy teams that are playing. So you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it is uh, not the normal situation where it's the best talent, the best team wins. It's the team that has the most healthy players available and thus can win. Yes. What's up with Kawhi Leonard sitting up in the rafters? <laughs> Why is he not with his team, supporting his team mentally and physically, cheering him on? He's literally up in the rafters you, watching the you game. Know, he you is know, just a different cat. You man. know what, Monty? I think you're foreshadowing the free agent market <laughs> in this offseason. There might there there might be some there might be some thoughts from other teams. Who knows? Who who knows what the, if if that is. You know, but you know to stave off some awkwardness as it stands right now. You know, hard to say when it comes out when your team needs you. You know, you should be right by right by their right. sides. Even if you're psychologically and emotionally exactly. helping them, or you're such a smart player, and he is. There's things that he can teach, or he can talk to people yes. while he's there. Yes. Uh, but no, he's up in the top rafters. Not even with in Steve Ballmer's box because Ballmer's on the front lines. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I digress from that. So let's let's talk coaches. Your Celtics picked up a coach. We mentioned three possible names right. last week. 
One of the three was selected. What are your thoughts on your new Celtic coach? I, I, I like the pick. I like the pick. He, I mean, he, he is... Uh, what I didn't want was a, uh, a clone of Brad Stevens. And uh, I don't think he's a clone. I mean, he's defensive-minded. Brad Stevens was defensive-minded. But, uh, you know, Imi Idoka is a more in-your-face type of coach from what I've been told you know he'll hold the players more accountable in my from what I've heard uh, Brad Stevens was more passive in that regards you know uh, and I, I think that's where the locker room got lost a little bit uh, I was told that uh, you know from uh, inside reporters that uh, you know players were tuning him out I don't think that would be the case with Emi in regards to him uh, having the buy-in from Tatum, Brown, and Smart because he helped coach them uh, on the... Uh, World Championship team. Right, yeah, I was going to say Olympic, but it wasn't for the Olympic team. But this past, th last summer, uh, you know, when they were, you know, when they were playing. So I, 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 like, I like the pick. Now, I would really like the pick if he can bring an offensive mind on his coaching staff as an assistant coach. He is an excellent defensive coach. That I have no problems with, okay? But the, but we still need an offensive mind just to get the, the ball rolling, you know? So let's do this right. I mean, if he can bring, I mean, I, 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 I've, I've heard names like uh, D'Antoni coming aboard. I don't know if he's gonna do that, uh, you know, coming from there. I don't think they can get a full sweep of the Nets coaching staff. But, uh, you know, who knows? Um, uh, the Atlanta coach that got fired. Uh, I can't even remember his name. Lloyd Pierce. I heard him as a, another possible uh, person that they could bring up on the staff, you know. Because Boston is a, is a type of situation where if, if they rebound and they rebound well, you are in the national media. And it'll open up doors for you rather than if you become an assistant coach at maybe a smaller market team like a Dallas mm -hmm. or Portland or an Orlando, you know. So I'm hoping that, okay, they, they, they got their, uh, their choice for their head coach. Uh, let's bring in the assistant coaches. Let's make this complete and let's get a good rebound. But yeah. I, I like the pick. I mean, I, I, I do too. I mean, I think, you know, we were talking off the air that I think the biggest thing was that he had a great relationship with his two stars. And I think that gave him a leg up. Right. And that's smart. Because at the end of the day, the Celtics are going to go as far as Tatum and Brown will take them over the next three to five years right. at least. Right. You know, so having somebody that has a good relationship with them um, is a great start. And if he's a defensive-minded coach, which is good, uh, he's got defensive talent there. Mm -hmm. Horford coming back is a good defensive player as well. Right. Smart is smart. Um, I think that's good, but I agree. I mean, I don't think they'll get D'Antoni from the Nets. I don't think the Nets will allow two of their assistant coaches to go to the same team. And I'm not even sure what the rules are with that. If you're making a lateral move, usually you can block things. Uh, you cannot block a promotion, but lateral you can block. And I'm not sure the Nets would allow D'Antoni to go you know, to a competitor um, in a lateral move, right. but you never know. So um, I'm happy for you because I know that you were hopeful that you would get one of these three, and right. you did, um, which is which is good for the Celtics. And um, let's see. I mean, let's see what happens. So the other coaching hires, 
Um, last week we mentioned that I mentioned that I thought Rick Carlisle was going to go to the Boston Celtics because he just fit, but instead he's going back to Indiana. Right. So he was unemployed for about six minutes, and then Indiana signs him, and he goes back to Indiana with a twenty-nine million dollar contract for four years. Yeah. So he's making you know seven and a half million a year. So he had some leverage there. I think that's a good fit. I mean, he, I, although I said he fits Boston, he definitely fits Indiana as well. I just didn't think he'd go back. Not too often do you have coaches that circle the wagons and go back. Um, but I do think he's a fit there. And he has some talent there. You got Brogdon, you got Zabonis, you got uh, Karis LeVert. There's some talent there. Uh -huh. And I believe that he is a good coach. Yeah. He, I mean, he, it, it was definitely a power play uh, on how he exited the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, uh, Yes, there were there were rumblings in in Dallas in regards to, uh, you know the the major changes that needed to be made. I mean, I, uh, I mean they still got their problem in Porzingis. We'll we'll see. Time will tell what if that problem will still exist. But at the you know at the start of next season, but it's always in a lot of cases that the coaches get the blame for this, and and they've been you know they've been blaming it. They've been. Uh, you know, on that, uh, they've been at the doorstep for the last two years with Luca there. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, I'm not sure how how much play Luca had in regards to uh, Carlisle not being a fit. But it's it shown that he is a, a prized, prized coach. I mean, he has... An NBA championship with, yeah, with let's not with, forget with, that. I yeah, mean, he with the took, Mavericks. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki led team and beat LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh in their first year. So uh, he is a championship caliber coach. Oh so yeah, I think and, Indiana has done well for yeah, themselves. and he, I, I believe he had Kid on that uh, mm -hmm. roster also. So if Kid can get a job, you better bet that he could get a job. He's the one who coached. He's the one who coached Kid on 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 his sunset. Uh, dance I guess onto that championship. Right, so you make the perfect segue because Jason Kidd has been hired to replace Rick Carlisle <laughs> in Dallas. And, I, and I, again, I think that's a perfect fit. I right. think Jason Kidd will get along fantastically with Luca. Jason Kidd has been with Dallas, has a great relationship with Mark Cuban. Um, I think he's a good fit there. I'm, I'm a little disappointed that he's leaving the Lakers, but I expected him to leave last year. We had him for two years. Um, so inevitably, he was going to move on to a to a coaching position. Um, I think he's going to do good. I think I think Dallas has uh, got themselves a pretty good coach. I think he's a good coach, but uh, the caveat there is, I think he it's it's his staff. I mean, we uh, Jason Kidd in Milwaukee uh, was a success. I mean, yes, he had success in in LA and everything like that. I I think he needs the surroundings now for. For Jason Kidd's sake, I think him going to uh, a mid-market team like Dallas, although Dallas is a big uh, city in itself, uh, it bodes well for him because he does bring uh, along some uh, baggage in regards to, I believe he had battery charges, so which can be a distraction, uh, especially if you're in a, you know, a socially motivated type of environment. I don't think uh, Dallas is really that type of, uh, you know, uh, climate that uh, uh, over some other places, you know. So I think I think that's a fit for him. Uh, again, it's going to come like Imi Doka and for the other coaching candidates who, who got their, not candidates, but uh, coaching hires. Uh, it's going to come down to, uh, their success will come down to how they complete their staff to complement them. 
Yeah, I agree. And then the final hire so far, Chauncey Billups in Portland. Mm -hmm. So, um, pretty rapid ascension for Chauncey Billups. Yes. Went from the, you know, from the TV booth, one year as an assistant, and now a head coach in Portland. So he gets to inherit Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum at this point in time. So uh, Chauncey's a leader, you know. So his first head coaching. Uh, try and right. it'll be interesting to see what he does with the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, and his successful ride on their GM because I don't think those pieces they're they're missing they're missing wings in my opinion. I mean, you could put you could put like Popovich. I mean, you don't give Popovich the you know the right players. I mean, he's not gonna win. I mean, they're missing more than just. A coach. Stotts was a good coach. I believe Stotts was a very good coach. Okay. But, you know, they thought that things needed to be changed. And that change is, is Chauncey Billups. Now, what I believe on top of that is, okay, I mean, it's, it's a good gamble. You know, Chauncey comes with, uh, you know, a lot of background, a lot of championship background. And, uh, you know, uh, everybody will say good things about Chauncey in regards to, you know, uh, his potential on um, becoming one of the greats, you know, even though he is very young in regards to his uh, coaching experience. Mm -hmm. Okay, but, but he needs the pieces. Damian Lillard is a great player. CJ McCollum is a great player. Nurchik is a good player. They are still missing pieces. Especially in the West. Yes, they are still missing. The they are still missing pieces. And it would be a shame if they don't do anything other than hire Chauncey Billups. Because if, if that's the last thing Portland does, the last significant thing that Portland does is hire Chauncey Billups, nothing's going to change. No, I don't, I don't think. I, I, I would be shocked if this is the last thing. I think Portland is going to shoot for the moon and make a big trade. You know, I've always thought that Dame Lillard might go. But now that they've hired a new coach, I don't think Chauncey Billups takes the job. If the GM told them that they were going to trade right. Dame Lillard, right? But I do think that something has to change in order for them to take the next step. But what's interesting is four hires, three African Americans, you know, uh, took these positions. So right. um, is that in play? I don't know. But it's nice to see the Boston coach and Chauncey Billups get a chance. You know, they are right. no head coaching experience, still relatively young in the coaching profession, but they're getting their shot, and good for them. See, the good thing about that is I never even thought about it that way. I looked at it as the best qualified candidate, irregardless of color. Mm -hmm. Irregardless of color, irregardless of gender. You know, I mean, you, you had the Becky Hammonds out there. I mean, you had, for Boston, at least you had, uh, uh, what is her name? Well, the one of the Boston. Boston. Yeah, yeah, well... But anyways, you know, irregardless of gender, irregardless of color, I think that they hired the best qualified, which is, which it should be. Which it, it always which should, it should be, be that. But I, I think the perception is in a league where you have 80% African-American players, right. that you're never going to have an 80% African-American coach, but the racials were, were out of whack. And I think the NBA has come a long way. And like I said, three out of the four current coaching hires african-american more gms the executive of the year james jones african-american for the phoenix suns so i think 
we're moving in the right direction, where we can stop to say that we have to have a Rooney Roo type situation. Right. And we just hire the best person, irregardless of their race or, or gender. Right, right, right. I mean, it, it, it's good that it actually came down, that, you know, that equation actually worked out in, in, in its way. But it, again, from my standpoint, I mean, if it wasn't mentioned, I, 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 I really think that this was, uh, you know, the hires that were put in place were there for the best qualified candidates and I don't think anybody can play I don't think you can say you can legitimately go out there and say reverse discrimination on this hire because of you know the ratios right. out there you right know, no no reverse discrimination best qualified coach out there but it was you know there's a lot of people and I'm not going to pick on your Celtics but there are a lot of people that do view Kyrie as one that it's sometimes the Boston area is not the most welcoming area. That's that's um, that's true. Right. I, 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 but there are three that. candidates that they were choosing from were black. All African Americans. Yeah, we're all black. Which is good. Yeah. Which shows that that's not necessarily the case. Maybe you have some fans that are like that way. Maybe in the past it was that way, but clearly it's a different time, it's a different regime. Um which is good. I mean, it, and it's good for Boston if they want to attract people. Um, it, it is. but And there was that Jay Williams thing. Tweet came out when it, uh, Udoko was first hired. He says Boston Celtics uh, first ever black coach, which was, you know, totally wrong. Uh, he's Casey actually the... Jones. He was actually, yeah, Casey Jones, uh, Bill Russell, you know, Doc Rivers... Uh, ML Carr, he's actually the sixth black coach up there. Now, Jay Williams said his account got hacked. Uh, all signs point to say it wasn't hacked. That he just, <laughs> he just, so there, there, what I'm basically trying to say, that there is that stigma out there that Boston is, is that. But, you know, they put together the first, the first uh, all-black starting five team. You know, they hired the first black head coach and Bill Russell. So as far as the fans are concerned, I can give you that. As far as the organization is concerned, they are trendsetters. Yeah. They are trendsetters. They're like the Dodgers of the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's jump into a couple of other things that we want to talk about. We'll go NBA lottery first, and okay. then we'll talk about the latest version of the Dream Team. So the lottery happens. Um, wow. The Pistons get the first pick. Uh, Cleveland, I mean, Houston is the second pick. Cleveland, the third pick. Cleveland is one of the luckiest lottery people that there is. Um, what do you think? I mean, Kate Cunningham seems to be the consensus that he's going to go to Detroit. He is. That's, that's, a, that's a lock. Okay, so the, with the second pick with Houston, you know, ESPN, their first mock draft has them taking Jalen Green I have a hard time believing they're not going to go with Evan Mobley. I think they're going to take Evan Mobley. I think when the dust settles, they're going to take Evan Mobley. Jalen Green will become a Cleveland Cavalier. That's, I mean, that, that's how I see it around. Unless I can get any more information other than, you know, just, uh, you know, speculation out there with any, without any viable backup, uh, you know, up there, that's the way I see it right now. But this is a very deep draft. I mean, you got Jonathan Kaminga who could go, who could creep up there. You know, well, I think the first five are set. It's just a matter of what order that they go. And I think with Houston, I think the decision is if you take Evan Mobley and you trade Christian Wood, and and I've heard that they're looking to trade Christian Wood and his big salary to right. get younger, maybe get another pick or another young t uh, talent. That makes sense because there's overlap between Mobley and Wood. Um, and then with with 
Cleveland, you've been drafting guards for the last few years. You have Colin Sexton, you have Garland. Right. Um, you know, you drafted uh, another guard this past year. Do they go with another guard again? So I, if Evan Mobley is there, they'll probably jump on him, although they do have Jared Allen. Um, but assuming that Mobley is not there, do they go Jalen Green? I heard many people say they're going to go Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga and maybe get rid of one of the other guards in I, a trade. Wow. I think they go Jalen Green just because Jalen Green has the... I mean, he, he, is, he is an undersized forward but uh, but a tall guard, and that's why they call them wings. I mean, I I, I think the NBA has uh, got gotten less position wise, and they're now calling. So he, I mean, he fits. He fits a wing. Mm -hmm. As far as an offensive standpoint, I mean, he fits a wing. Yeah. So you could still run the two guards as they are. Basically, if you want to, if you want to say it, you want to put a guard tag on a three guard lineup. But essentially, he'll be playing a wing. And I think Jalen Suggs, if he were to fall to four to Toronto, is the perfect replacement. I think for that's Kyle Lowry. Yeah, exactly. Kyle Lowry is leaving. Jalen Suggs will come in. And one of the things that Jalen Suggs has the ability, more so, I believe, than any of the ones ahead of him, is he is a leader. Yes. He's charismatic. Yeah. And he's a leader. Right. Um, and he, he'll step into a situation where you have Fred Van Fleet and, and Siakam. You have a good team there that won the championship just two years ago they were world champs um that'd be a great situation for Jalen Suggs to step into and then Kuminga goes to the Orlando Magic at number five now one of the losers of this whole situation was the Oklahoma City Thunder yes you know because they got knocked out of the top four they had you know the equal percentage with Houston uh and Detroit I believe 14 percent chance to win the top pick they got bumped out so they lose one of their higher picks uh, in a trade situation. So all they get is the 6, 16, and 18. And I think they were hoping for two within the top five. Right. That didn't happen. So they're losers there. Um, and then Golden State has two picks. You know, they, they settle in at 7 and 14. What does Golden State do? Do they draft two players? Do they package these two players with somebody else to go get somebody else? Uh, that's going to be interesting. Because I, I can't see... Golden State drafting two people. I can see them drafting two people just for the sake of what they are. Is they are way, way, way over their uh, salary cap. They yeah. are, but in the NBA, you, your trades has to be equal salary. So if you're going to package, an, uh, you know, an Andrew Wiggins who's making a lot to bring back salary, uh, and you got to give some of these picks to make it work. Um, I think I think they could. Um, but it's interesting. The the ESPN has them taking Davion Mitchell, which I love the guy. I, I love that guy. I mean, I yeah. think he's gonna be not a superstar, but he'll be a contributor from day one. His his physical attributes, his strength, his speed, his quickness, and his defensive tenacity translate to being a success from day one. I I, I agree, and he's he's got the maturity factor too. He's one. He's he's. Uh, you know, he's not a teenager, so he's a little bit older than the other, you know, other people that are in the draft. So he brings that maturity standpoint out there. He knows what needs to be done. Uh, and, I, you know, he, he wasn't one of the, those types of players who were top 10 picks uh, from his entry time in college. He earned it, and he knows how tough it is to get out there. I agree with you 100% that he'll be the most... Uh, NBA ready. Yeah, he is. And then for our teams, 
They've got the Lakers at 22 taking Oregon shooting guard Chris Duarte. Uh, the Lakers need a lot, so I don't know what they're going to take. And it's so weird to have to sift through to find Boston's first pick. They, they, They've been picking constantly <laughs> with two, three, four they took picks. Mo, they took Mo Brown on the OKC trade. Mo they, Brown is a UCLA senior if you want to equate it to his age. Oh, they have ESPN has the Celtics with the 45th pick taking Rokas Jokubaitis from Zal Greece, a point guard. I don't even know where Zal Greece is. <laughs> That's Giannis's cousin. That's Giannis's cousin from Greece. Sounds like it. All right, gang. So the last thing we want to talk about with the NBA is the dream team. So the dream team came out. Uh, some positive surprises to me and some negative surprises to me. I was shocked that Kevin Durant agreed to play on Team USA. I was very, very surprised, especially coming off that grueling uh, loss to the Bucks, where he was playing every minute of every game. Um, but quite honestly, Ernie, thank goodness he agreed. <laughs> thank goodness he agreed because this team is not... This is, I believe, our weakest dream team since before the 1992 original dream team. Oh, I mean, yeah. When you, when you put it in that perspective, I would agree with you. But that's just basically saying, you know, you're, you're, you're the ugliest Miss Universe contestant out there. You're, yeah. you're still gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm hopeful. And, and don't, don't let me preface this. I am very grateful for the 12 players that agreed to strap it up and go to Tokyo and play for Team USA. Except, so I'm not, I don't want to be condescending to anyone. Except for one. <laughs> <laughs> except for one, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'm still grateful that he decided to go. But I think we're both referring to Kevin Love, who has been injured now for four years, basically. Yeah. That one was a real surprise. So I'm actually curious. We were talking off the air that there were originally 55 people on the candidate list for the dream team how many people have to say no before kevin love gets an invitation on this team at this time yeah i mean i mean you pointed out earlier i mean did zion say no did julius randall say no i mean you could throw a multitude of players out there i mean did they say no i mean the original invitation list was 55 uh where Kevin Love landed on that 55, was he in the 40s? Was he even in the 50s? Yeah, I mean, he had to have been pretty low. I mean, that, that, I mean I, so I was surprised by that. But now, I guess what happened was in tw 2019 at the World Championships, we lost. And we did not do well. Right. Um, and the big problem was everyone was shooting the three better than we were. So it seems like we went the complete opposite direction and went with mostly smalls or wings, and our two centers, Bam Adebayo, mm -hmm. who can shoot a three and be athletic, and, and Kevin Love is going to be a five, and he can shoot. Right. So we went with all shooters, and I guess Draymond will be the small five as well. Uh, but even if you do that, even if you're thinking all shooters, I mean, I can think of people like Trey Young that's not on this team. Uh, and you have Bucks, you have Drew Holiday, you have Chris Middleton, and you have Devin Booker. If they play in the finals, those three will be playing three days before the Olympics begin. Wow. They'll still be playing, possibly. Wow. Um, that's going to be very, very tough. But even knowing that, these three agreed to come, and I think that's, that's admirable. So I hope that this team has enough to win. 
Um, I'm excited for those that have not been there before, and there are many. Like, even Dame has never been on an Olympic team, right. so I think he's going to carry them. But I feel very, very good that Kevin Durant's there, because Kevin Durant is 25 points away from being the leading scorer in U.S. history, um, and he's going to get that in the first game. Yeah. He's going to have to carry this team. He and Dame are going to have to really carry this team offensively. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say carry the team. It's going to depend on the matchup. I mean, there are, there are yes, there are other good countries that's going to give them. It's not going to be a cakewalk like the 92 team. Not, not at all. I mean, the, I mean if, 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 if you look at the all-NBA team this year, you'll find as many foreigners on, the, mm-hmm. on, on that team than uh, homegrown USA people. So, I mean, and then you take those all-NBA players that are all-NBA from the United States. And only two of them were on this team. <laughs> so, I mean, but again, I, I am not, don't get me wrong, I don't want anyone to think I'm bashing on Kevin Love. The fact that he was on the list, was asked, and he's willing to go and play for his country, I find that admirable, and I have tremendous respect, and I hope he does well. It just didn't make sense to me that he is one of the 12 best that we could have come up with at this time. Yeah. Four years ago, absolutely. Right. Now... That's a that's a little bit of a struggle. For yeah, us. I mean, let's just hope this is the madness that uh, Popovich uh, is bringing. You know, hopefully that his genius shows up on top of this, and you know, we all are proven wrong during the Olympics. And Kevin Love does have that one game that you know makes or breaks a difference in you know at least in the medal rounds. You know, I have a feeling that uh, you know even if he was designated uh, from a talent standpoint in the the lower forties or fifties as far as talent wise for the invitation uh, that Popovich had his choice over there and saying, you know what, based upon the group that we currently have right now, that Kevin Love makes the best fit. And I, I trust him, Pop. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I hope he's right. Yeah. And, and, I, and I hope we go there and we do well. So that is another perfect segue into my closing thought. Okay. So this week, um, there was all kind of dialogue going around. I mean, Kevin Durant was fighting with Scottie Pippen over the last couple of days <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, just going at it. Um, but what I really wanted to talk about was Steve Kerr's comments earlier in the week, when, uh, which was controversial to some, but okay. I didn't find it to be that controversial. But Steve Kerr made the comment that Kevin Durant is the most gifted NBA player in NBA history. That is... And I think a lot of people hear that and automatically go, are you out of your mind? I mean, there's no way he's, he's better than... Michael Jordan. And I think there lies the key. Right. Uh, and I actually agree with Steve Kerr because there's a difference between being the best okay. and being the most gifted. gifted. Okay. There are a lot of... Uh, let's go back to Major League Baseball. When we were growing up uh, and the, the Mets were playing in the, in the mid-80s, the most gifted baseball player they used to say that they'd ever seen was Daryl Strawberry. You know, they had referred to him as his long stroke, massive power, un, you know, a tremendous 6'6", all kinds of power. He had a good career. He was gifted. He was far from the best. In the NFL, Tom Brady is by far the best NFL player in history. Right. He's far from the most, most gifted. gifted. True player ever true he was a sixth round draft pick he right. was slow he was chubby right he doesn't have the strongest arm right but he's the best of all time and there lies the difference kevin durant is 
gifted to me is God-given blessings. Okay. He's a seven-footer right. that can shoot from anywhere on the court, right. can handle the ball like a guard, right. is long, he can play defense, right. he can block a shot, he's unstoppable on offense. He has the gifts. Right. Now, does that mean that he's better than Michael Jordan? The answer is no. But the difference between Jordan and Durant is that Jordan had this unbelievable, relentless competitiveness that does not allow him to fail. Okay. And although Durant is competitive, there's no one quite like Michael. So Michael Jordan is still by far the best NBA player in the history of the game. But that doesn't mean he was more gifted than Kevin Durant. I honestly believe Durant had more gifts. Michael Jordan used his gifts better so far than Kevin Durant. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's I think it's close. I mean, I I, I mean, I could even use a an analogy other than Michael Jordan. I mean, I could use like Will Chamberlain, who is the same uh, height as Kevin Durant. And I mean, you could you could easily say, okay, then. Kevin Durant didn't use his height well, and that was gifted to him. Uh, where Will Chamberlain used his height well in order to, in order to, you know, get all those rebounds, score one hundred points in a game. You know, uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, not many people. I don't think Kevin Durant has a forty-inch vertical leap. Uh, Michael Jordan used that forty-inch vertical leap to do the amazing things that he did. Uh, it's hard to say. I agree with you. If he is not the most gifted, he is one of the most yeah. gifted. Yeah. I mean, for his all-around play, I, I mean, well, for for us to say that he is unstoppable right now, uh, the I would say that that is coming from an offensive game. Right. Okay. Right. And then if I'm just looking at all the offensive. Uh, Juggernauts in the NBA again going back to Will going into Michael Jordan. But even when you mentioned when you mentioned Will Chamberlain, I think that's the first thing that comes to mind. Somebody that had these physical gifts. But right. He also benefited from the time that he played. True. I mean, he was so physically superior to everyone else True. that he was just getting the ball and rolling it in the basket. True. But even then, if you were to ask who's the better center, him or Bill Russell, yeah, you're gonna say Bill nine Russell. out of ten is gonna say, say Bill, Bill Russell. Russell. Because of his overall right. game and right. how he that translated into winning, right? And I think that's again a, a a pretty good another pretty good example of one clearly had the better physical gifts, right? And one had the better basketball was the better basketball player, right? Overall, right? Um, and we're not that, and, and, and just to clarify, we're not saying the best old basketball player ever, just the most. Gifted. Yeah. If you're for the multitude of things that Kevin Durant does, you know, like you said, his his handles are good. Uh, he can. He's inside, outside. Not many people can say that. Uh, let's say Jordan had the better defensive, uh, but that's not really. I I I don't know if that's. Well, a, Jordan is definitely the better defensive. Yeah, player. but uh, is, I, is 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 that a gift? I don't know. That's to me. That's more work. Yes. I mean, part of it is gift, you know, size, speed, right. length, and, and Durant has made himself into a good defender, taking right. advantage of those long arms. Right. Um, but it is, it, it's, a, it's a work ethic. Now, do you view work ethic and mentality as a gift? Maybe, but I think mental gifts are often developed over time. 
and you're not blessed with that. Mm. He was blessed to be born seven feet. And he was blessed to be born with the, with the quickness to be, and the dexterity to handle like a guard. Right. Um, and not many people in the history of the NBA have had those gifts. Exactly, exactly. But I'll, I'll give you this. Kerr was a teammate of Michael Jordan, so he saw Michael Jordan's game firsthand. And if he's going to go out there and say that KD is the most gifted out there, knowing Michael Jordan's game, playing side-by-side by, you know, the supposed GOAT, uh, you... You you I mean you you, you got to give Steve Kerr uh, props on top yeah. of that I mean well he had first hand he had first hand he coached he, one and he played ex- exactly so I, I think he knows what he's talking about yeah. and again as long as you understand the difference between saying somebody's the most gifted and saying that they're the best I think if you understand that I I, I don't think you're as it's not as blasphemous it's as not. some people make it it's seem not. like yeah it's because not. let's not forget Michael Jordan was once cut from his high school team as a ninth grader. <laughs> So that's a sign that he wasn't gifted from the start. Right. He made himself the best basketball player in the history of the world. And again, I go back to the NFL. No one will ever mistake Tom Brady for being the most gifted NFL player ever. But no one will say now that he's not the GOAT of right. the NFL. That's so true. I think that's the perfect example yeah. of distinguishing between gifts production right. and what's truly makes somebody the best of all time. So there was a lot of discussion. So I thought that'd be interesting to discuss. I'd love to hear your guys' feedback on this because I'm sure there are some MJ lovers out there that you cannot say anything bad or derogatory <laughs> against Michael Jordan. Um, so of course, you know, we look forward to having your feedback. Just hit us up again on social media, sports rivals podcast on IGA and Facebook and Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. We really appreciate much more dialogue over the last couple of weeks. We really appreciate that. We look forward to discussing things with you. So Ernie, before we go, anything else that you're looking forward to this weekend and the upcoming week? I'm looking for a short series. Let's get into the NBA Finals. With the Phoenix Suns? <laughs> Actually, I really don't care who wins the East. I, I, I honestly don't care. I, I would the- love to see Trey Young play. I, you know, if Giannis gets a chance to play for a title, that's great for him. I really don't care who comes out of the East. The only thing, I, what, and I say that and I start watching, I'm like, well, I find myself cheering for the Hawks. But if the Bucks were to win, heck, they knocked the Nets out. So yeah. they deserve our, yeah. our support. I, I, I mean, like I said, since the Nets are out, I have no favorite team anymore because my favorite team was whoever plays the Nets. So, by de facto, but that was over already. I mean, it's a totally different series. It was the Milwaukee Bucks, but that was last series. So, Phoenix in the West, and like you said, whoever comes out of the East, I think it's going to be Milwaukee. Let's get on with it. And it's going to be so weird. I mean, we talk off the air, but you're going to get more than likely a Phoenix-Milwaukee or Phoenix-Atlanta championship. Nobody would have guessed that at the beginning of the year, especially if it's Phoenix, Atlanta. Nobody would have guessed that a month ago when I, the playoffs started. I feel bad for the ratings, but if you're a true sports fan, you'll see, you'll 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 pay attention. You'll yeah, pay attention. Absolutely. And this coming week, I, I know that this weekend the U.S. Uh, trials are wrapping up in both track and field uh-huh. and gymnastics. If you had a chance to watch Simone Biles last night, she's just on another planet. It's like. She's just in a different world from everyone else. Oof. She's so much better. It is crazy how good that woman is. Wow. I look forward to watching the, the last night of the, the gymnastics trials tomorrow night. Um, 
And then I can't wait till July 23rd when the Olympics start. I mean, I'm excited for this uh, Olympic Games one year late. And the other thing that I'm watching, Ernie, we're soccer coaches, right. Euro Cup 2020. All right. That's right, 2020. Um, <laughs> tomorrow, Belgium and Portugal. Portugal trying to defend their title. What's fun is that when the Euro Cup was last played in 2016, I was actually in Europe at the time, uh -huh. in France at the time. And it was just chaos. It was so neat to see everybody from other countries there just partying in the streets. I mean, my daughters were a little terrified of what was going on, but it was just so fun to see. So I'm glued to, I watched Italy win this morning, tomorrow Belgium, the number one team in the world versus the defending champs, Portugal, with my, uh, my relative Ronaldo, <laughs> you know, my cousin from Portugal. <laughs> Uh, we'll see if they're going to bounce, be able to bounce back. So another great show. A lot of NBA talk today. Ernie, excited for your Celtics and their new coach. I hope he does well. Um, it'd be interesting for them to get to another finals. To be exactly. Luka, Zion, and the rest of the 2022 Lakers. NBA champ, Boston Celtics. I can't wait. They're more likely to be in the lottery. <laughs> All right, gang. Until next week, the sports rivals are out. joining us on the sports rivals podcast check us out on social media at sports rivals podcasts on instagram and at sports rivals pod on twitter where you can share topics you'd like to hear